You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning to you. It is good to be with you this morning on Transfiguration Sunday. A Sunday where we have a story from Scripture that we're not quite sure what to do with. (laughs) It's an interesting story. It's a strange story. So let's live into it. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 28th verse. It'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then the cloud came, uh, then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many years ago, when I was a child, I remember watching... Uh, One afternoon, the Saints play the 49ers, and my dad left to go to the other room to to reheat the cheese dip, and the announcers uh, on the television said, uh, isn't it amazing that Steve Young, uh, he's come so far, and he started his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was like, oh, I I didn't know that. So when my dad came back into the room, I said, dad, did you know that Steve Young started his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then my dad performed what we call in my family, Steve Young face. Which is when when your head tilts to the side and your eyes squint and you purse your lips and you cross your arms and you kind of do this with your mouth and it's, it's, not, it's not condescension, but it is the look on your face that says, what you've said doesn't sound right. I don't know the answer immediately, but I'm, I'm a find out. And then, of course, the announcers later, while my dad was in the room, said that Steve Young had indeed started playing his career uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And there's this, hmm, Joy. There's this 
smug um, uh, celebration within one's soul when, when someone is doing Steve Young face and, and you prove them wrong. So uh, a couple years ago, my, I was in the car, me, Christy and I, Christy, my wife, and I were in the car with Emma, my niece. And we were driving, and Emma said, Uncle Matt, did you know that Frozen is the only Disney movie where a Disney princess dies? I should have said spoiler alert. It's been out for a couple years. That's, that's on you, not me. So, uh, you know, Uncle Matt, did you know that, that Disney's Frozen is the only Disney movie where a Disney princess dies? Cue Steve Youngface. And I said, hmm. Ah, correction. Meg from Disney's Hercules went to the underworld. To which Emma replied, correction. Meg is not a princess. Hmm. Hmm. I leaned over to Christy and I said, Bambi's mother. And then she punched me in the arm. She says, don't you dare. She is nine years old. Don't you bring up Bambi's mother. This, if, if, we're hearing, if we're hearing the transfiguration story for the first time, Jesus going up the mountain and he's, he's transfigured, he's, he's glowing. He's, if we're hearing the story for the first time, imagine someone coming to you and saying, I was just up the mountain and Jesus was like, Floating, glowing, talking with Moses and Elijah, I would imagine hmm, you might have a bout of Steve Young face as well when hearing this story. Eight days later, or about, about eight days later, Jesus brings uh, Peter, James, and John up to, I guess, Andrew. Uh, who was also in the sailboat with them, uh, fishing boat with them, did not make the inner circle. About eight days later, Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and there he's transfigured before them. I love this about eight days later. Understand that this eight days later is not a temporal designation. It is a theological one. The story takes place about eight days later, when Jesus had mentioned that he was about to go to Jerusalem to lose his life. About eight days later, this proclamation happened on the top of the mountaintop, and Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah. The timing of this all should remind us of resurrection. Now, if they had gathered six days later, that would remind us of creation. God's creative act, the, the, the love within the heart of the Trinity had been poured out and God created everything that is seen and unseen. If this had happened six days later, as is recorded in Matthew's gospel, we would be thinking about creation. Jesus doing something new, recreating something. If this had happened seven days later, maybe we would call to mind Sabbath, Sabbath rest, being on the top of the mountain and seeing the glory of God and letting the world spin Without us, but this takes place about eight days later, which calls to mind resurrection. On the first day of the week, before the sun had risen, Mary came to the tomb and saw that the tomb was empty. Another way of saying the first day of the week is also saying the eighth day of creation, which is why our baptismal font is an octagon. It's a sign of new life, rebirth, Resurrection. 
But the most curious word in this text isn't about Jesus being transfigured or or Jesus glowing or the fact that Jesus is speaking with Moses and Elijah from where? Are they in Sheol? Are they in heaven? Is this just a vision? The most curious word in this text is the word about. Scripture says it was about eight days later. What a curious way to describe what they are seeing. About means that we aren't quite sure. It could have been seven days. It could have been nine days. It could have been ten. Again, this is not a temporal designation. It is a beautiful theological way of saying that what we are experiencing is a picture of resurrection, but we are not quite sure what it means. And when we aren't quite sure of something, sometimes we do more talking than we should Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Master, it is good for us. I imagine Peter, when he says this, it's almost a question. It's almost Peter trying to convince himself, I uh, don't know what's going on, but uh, Master, it is, it is good for us to be here. It is good, Right? And then Peter wants to offer three dwelling places to enshrine this moment. And when, in the history of the gospel, has Jesus asked for a shrine or a plaque or a statue to remember the miraculous? Peter's words should give the church pause. Peter knows that the path that they are about to take is heading to Jerusalem. Peter knows that it's about to get real. Peter knows that Jesus has been talking about losing, losing his life. So Peter wants to erect a shrine on the mountaintop because he would much rather remember this moment than go to the cross. Peter wants to remember the glory but not the sacrifice. Sometimes we want to lift high the cross and we want to lift the cross so high so that we don't have to get on it. Stanley Hauerwas puts it this way. It is hard not to be sympathetic with Peter's suggestion that dwelling places might be built to honor Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Like Peter, we desire to secure in place, if not tie down and domesticate the wild spirit of God's kingdom. We do not wish to face anew the challenge of God's presence We would like to make the success of our past our own without having to have the courage of those following Jesus into the unknown. Yet the church dies or is unfaithful when the achievements of the past are used to ignore the Father's command to listen to him. You see, a voice proclaims from the heavens, this is my son, Listen to him. This is the same voice at the beginning of the season of Epiphany that we heard when Jesus came up out of the waters. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. We are not called to remember a monument. We are called to remember the proclamation. A proclamation we bring with us into the world. A proclamation which remembers the past but is always pushing into the future kingdom of God. This is my son, Listen to him. The voice does not say, this is my son, you should have listened to him. 
Because this command is always active, this command is always present, this command is always alive. There is the temptation of having everything fixed and finalized and finished and answered with monuments erected. But the transfiguration leaves us with more questions than answers. Do you want me to build a shrine to encase my understanding of Jesus? It's a bad question. A better question is, Lord, how are you calling me to remember this miracle as I go to serve the world? So Jesus tells them, get up. Let's go. We're headed to Jerusalem. I'm not going to erect a cross-shaped memorial. I'm going to be placed upon it. I'm not asking you to have all the answers. I'm not asking you to have everything figured out. I'm asking you to follow and to not be afraid. About eight days later. (laughs) So here we are. About eight days since the beginning of the special called General Conference. Those of you who are following the story know that the traditional plan passed by a 53% to a 47% margin. And this is the plan that keeps the current disciplinary language prohibiting United Methodist pastors from officiating uh, same-gender unions and also prohibiting LGBTQI persons from ordination. The plan is currently under review by the Judicial Council to see if the plan is constitutional or not. Of the 15 petitions in the traditional plan, eight had already been deemed unconstitutional. Two petitions were amended from the floor, though these new amendments, along with the whole of the traditional plan, will be discussed at the upcoming April Judicial Council meeting, and a declaratory decision will then be made. It could be that only the constitutional parts of the plan will pass and be implemented. It could be because the legislation was taken as a whole, the whole thing may be thrown out. We are in very much an about eight days later kind of place where we're looking at Jesus for some maybe in a new way, certainly a different way, an unexpected way. We're trying to figure figure it out Some are thankful that the traditional plan passed. Others feel utterly dismissed and cast aside because it passed. And the trick in being a pastor is to recognize that both 53% and the 47% both call Asbury home. You know, it's interesting. There were three booths, three dwelling places that Peter wanted to build. There were three plans that were presented from the floor. The traditional model, the one church plan, and the simple plan all got voiced from the floor. Three plans. Peter wants to build three dwelling places to enshrine his experience of Christ. And Jesus pays no mind to any of them. Jesus tells them to get up and to go down the mountain because they must go to Jerusalem. They have to get up. They have to go down the mountain because there are still people who are hungry. They have to get up. They have to go down the mountain because there are still people who need to know that they are loved. They have to get up and go down the mountain because there are still people imprisoned that need to be visited. 
Get up and go down the mountain because there are still people who need to know the saving grace of God. Get up and go down the mountain because there are still people in the world that need to know who Christ is, to need to know that they are loved, that they are valued. There are still children who need to know where their next meal is coming from. There are still people living in fear, out of violence. There are still people who need to see both the sacrifice of the cross and the empty tomb three days later. Get up. Go down the mountain. There's still work to be done. One of our favorite parts of the worship service that we have is when we get to gather around the table and I have the honor and the blessing and the privilege to say, you don't have to be a United Methodist in order to receive communion. Our faith teaches us that if you are in need of grace, you're invited and welcome to receive it. Especially when we are in an about eight days later kind of place. May grace be the tie that binds us together. May grace be the tie that binds us together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, our experience of Christ is so powerful that we want to enshrine it. We want to domesticate it. We want to bind it. So, Father, let us hear that prophetic word from Christ. The word that tells us to live into the unknown. The word that tells us to trust in Christ, not our own dwelling places. Help us to have the courage to walk to Jerusalem and to walk with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.